What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is a podcast from Minute Media. <laughs> it would be a wolf's fun, eh? Well, at least it wasn't another nil-nil draw. Hello and welcome. Good evening. It's today's episode of Wolves Fancast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. It's myself, Rich. I've got Blake and Gully who are joining me today to go through Wolves' heartbreaking last-minute defeat to Liverpool. Guys, how are we both doing today? Uh, Surprised. I'm I'm relatively content, actually. No, it was it was a tough one to take, but in the grand scheme, I think we can be relatively pleased with the weekend's work. I didn't think we'd be that close, so to even be in it by the ninety fourth minute was, I think, really impressive to me. So, granted, it's always gutting to go down like that, but what can you do? We didn't deserve yeah. it. We really didn't deserve it. I think. That's well, uh, it's more complicated than that, though, because. I mean, we defended so well, and I think that we played at the back quite perfectly for 90 minutes, and then for the final four, it just sort of fell apart just that little bit. Granted, there was that nonsense with, with Saw coming out of his goal, but we can, we'll get to that later. But anyways. Yeah, I've, uh, I say I, I think at the time I was gutted because 90th minute, well, 94th, I think it was. It was basically the last kick of the game stuff. And then after getting incredibly drunk last night um, and having a sobering reflection of last night's events, both on and off the pitch for Wolves and myself, I did kind of think, you know what? <sighs> if I'd have scored in the 10th minute, I'd have coped with a 1-0 um, defeat. But... Let's let's go right back to the start with the starting lineup, guys. I mean, I was a little bit surprised to be honest with it because Dendonka kept his place for Martinho, and Traore kept his place as well um, in, in the starting lineup from um, from the draw on Wednesday night. G- Gully, uh, were, were you surprised to see Dendonka start? Because I mean, Martinho has quietly had a pretty proficient season and a decent run of form at the moment. Um, whereas Dendonka, I, he didn't play awfully on Wednesday, but he didn't quite set the world alight. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's Dendonka in a nutshell, isn't it? Um, he's, he's never going to be the kind of player who's going to stand out from the crowd with his performances, but I, I thought he was pretty good against Burnley and did a lot of stuff that went under the radar to, to make sure we maintained our attacks and things that I think we've struggled to do against Burnley in particular in recent seasons. Um, you're right about Moutinho. He has been excellent, to be honest. Um, and he's almost having a bit of a renaissance, but he's also played every single minute so far this season. And maybe the three games in a week kind of just caught up with him a little bit, um, which mm. is fine because ultimately, I guess, Neves managed to get arrested in the week with being suspended. If he is a bit fresher than um, Matinho, you, you, it's almost like for like, isn't it really? So um, I, I was, I, I didn't have a major issue with that. I think ultimately though, Traore maintaining his spot was plainly just because we wouldn't have got laid a glove on them if, if he wasn't part of the side, I think. Yeah, Blake, um, what were your thoughts on Traore starting? Obviously, he's yet the enigmatic one in the uh, in the squad, and it's always sort of a, que- a debate about whether he starts or doesn't. Well, I think the only way we were ever going to even come close to putting one past Pope was if we had that pace um, to hit them on the counter and just try and maybe on one counter-attack 
get the ball from from Adama to uh, you know Huang or, or Jimenez uh, to slot at home, but it just didn't quite work out. And I think, to be honest, I think it's more on Huang and Jimenez than it is on Adama. And it's it's interesting because Bruno has sort of been pretty supportive of Adama over the past two weeks. So it'll be interesting to see if his inclusion in the starting 11 will continue, especially with Man City. Yeah. Um, I don't usually talk about the opposition line of ball too much, but the only one I wanted to mention was Diogo Jota um, starting his first return to Molyneux in front of fans. Um, I do quite like that we have this almost asterisk when it comes to that at the moment because of COVID and stuff like that, because, you know, he played against us last season. Out of curiosity, um, I know Blake, Blake, me, uh, you and Kim talked about it Wednesday night. Um, Gully, what what kind of reaction did you give him out of curiosity? I I can't imagine you being someone who vehemently booed him, um, you know, the moment he stepped out uh, to do his warm-up. No, I, I mean, I feel like the Wolves fans have a strange relationship with Diogo Jota. Um, whereby we're all convincing ourselves that we're a better better team without him now that he's gone, despite the fact he's now becoming one of the most lethal strikers in the Premier League and he seems to have gone on to bigger and better things. Now, we all know about the fact that it was a good transfer with the fee and perhaps there was an argument for his place in the team at the time, but I just think, you know, in 10, 15 years' time, when his career is said and done, we'll all be sitting there going, once upon a time, Diego Jota used to play for Wolves, and, you know, he's probably going to have a very full mantelpiece of, of silverware and trophies and stuff. So I've, I've got a lot of respect for him. I think he's a brilliant footballer. He delivered for us in every aspect of his game. Now, I, I, I'm not against the idea of booing his every touch just to put him off his game, but then to then boo him while he was being substituted, I found a bit strange. Um, like it was that was your opportunity, I think, when he was going off to you know give him, give him his props and give him his due because ultimately he's a very successful footballer for Wolves. Yeah, so it, 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 it is quite strange because it's not like he effect, he's impacting the game once he's leaving the pitch. Um, um, to be fair, I think for me with with Jota and It'll be interesting to see how it compares to, let's say, inevitably when Ruben Neves leaves, um, the sort of reaction he gets. But there was almost, with, with Jota, a, a level of mercenariness in his acquisition in the first place that everyone kind of knew. And I think he might have even said it when he left Wolves as well, that this is very much a stepping stone for me. This is a platform for me, me to improve get myself to that next level up, um, which is what it is for all football players. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but the, I'm sure there was like a level of, do you know you go I mean? back to that? You go back to that summer um, that we saw, we brought in, in Jota, Bolly and Neves. Now, if you don't think that those three players needed some convincing to join a team that had just finished 15th in the championship, then you're slightly mm. delusional, I think. Um, there was no guarantee of success um, that those three would basically translate whatever talents that they had immediately into the championship, that Nuno would pick it up as quickly as he did. Now, lo and behold, we managed to sail through that season quite nicely, but to then feel like, you know, give give the impression that, you know, Jota never wanted to be here or, or that kind of stuff, it's just a bit like, well... Yes, of course not. He was playing Champions League football the season before he joined yeah. Wolves. There, there was always, come on. Yeah, there was always like a means to an end for him being at the club. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and, and everybody's and, benefited but, from his time there. Yeah. All that being said, he was still a brilliant player. Yeah. You know? exactly. He did his time. So I can't knock him. Like, yes, sure, he, he didn't really have his heart at the club, but he gave us everything when he was here. And to me, that's what counts. Yeah, he yeah, his heart might not necessarily be in the club, but his legs were, and that's sort of the the bare minimum he needs as a footballer. Just, I, I know we don't want to kind of drag the point out, but when you think about the fact that most of our transfer business is with a view to potentially selling that player on for a profit yeah. at some point in time, he's actually the only one we've managed to do that on, really, um, in terms mm. of he's actually left the club to go to a better positioned team. 
you know, get go and get more success. So he's basically the poster boy for, you know, what will probably be a Pedro Neto move in, in the future or something like that. Um, like you say, Ruben Neves might be one of the next cabs off the rank, but the club is is built to make these transfers happen. Um, yeah. So I mean, to we probably degree, should get used to it a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll, 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 I'll use this as my link to get back into the game, but actually to a less degree, so I'm more like Rayanate Norrie, who was very... Um, wanted it in France when he left. And actually, he's got a really big opportunity now to put in a couple of years at Wolves, get himself highlighted further, and then get a move to, for example, let's say PSG in two, three years' time when they need you know, to hit their homegrown quota, etc. And he's reached that level. And, you know, what, what did we, you know, what did we sign him for in the end? Was it 10 million? I something. think, yeah, with like a fifty percent sell-on clause. Or something yeah, like exactly. That. So you know, it'll be you know what if we sell him for then twenty-five, thirty, then as like it brings in the next attractive youngster for it. Um, I want to bring it eight Norway because I think the entire back five slash six, including Saar, for by and large yesterday were fantastic. And I think the thing that stuck out for me is we uh, how we restricted them out wide, and particularly eight Norway against you know. The mo- probably the most informed player in the world in um, Salah at the moment. Uh, that's one of the best defensive games I think I've seen him play for Wolves. Certainly. Um, I think yeah. it's one of the... Well, I think everyone in that back line deserves a heck of a lot of credit. I mean, it just felt like Liverpool just couldn't do anything for, what, 93 minutes. And... Out, again, outside of that nonsense with Jose Saul, it never really felt like Liverpool were going to score. Um, I, I was pretty convinced that we could have pulled out a nil-nil draw. And I knew full-time that you know we're playing Liverpool and they could just score out of nowhere, kind of like they did. But, I mean, defensively, every single one in that back five or six, if you want to include Saul, like you said, was just superb, nearly perfect. Yeah, good. G- I mean, we'll start. We'll start with Eight Norrie because I know you're you're a big fan of his. Um, I, I mean, think, say be- best performance in a Wolf shirt. Could you argue defensively for sure? Absolutely. I think um, there's a. I don't know why it is the case, but I think people tend to just assume that a player who is good going forward in that full back wing back position is naturally just a terrible defender. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I don't think I've ever thought of Aitnuri as a bad defender. He's a bit lightweight at times, um, and you, you you might target him physically um, based on that. But nothing from that game yesterday suggested to me that he's not capable of going toe-to-toe with his winger and, and getting the better of him. And he did it against basically the best player in the world right now. So... I think we can we can kind of put to bed some of the claims that, that, that people might have that they worry about him going backwards, essentially, now. Yeah, I mean, the, the only time I can think of him really playing poor, I guess, defensively was against Leicester last season, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, when, and when I had, remember that game. Yeah. When he had, an, I mean, I'd almost argue, looking in hindsight now, that was almost the exception. And he just had a complete stinker, which you know you're allowed to. Um, <clears throat> the other, the other player I really want to highlight in the in the defence um, was Connor Cody, who has had his criticisms in a wolf shirt in the last eighteen months. But again, I, I mentioned Martino uh, earlier. Is he quietly having a, a, a really strong spell um, and a really good level of form? And I can't quite remember last time I saw him string together what's probably about six to eight performances now where he's been really, really solid. Um, Gully, how are you finding Cody at the moment? I'm finding Cody genuinely impressive, I think. Um, I think we all assumed that he was going to struggle. Perhaps we're playing on a little bit more on the front foot, but I think the problem with what Nuno was trying to do with his defence was he was trying to 
keep us in shape and, you know, losing our shape was the most important thing not to do for Nuno. Whereas now, I don't think there's such a... He's almost got a mandate, Cody, now, where if he does need to step out and make a challenge, he's got the manager's backing and the confidence of the manager that, you know, he's doing the right thing to do that. You, you notice the, the biggest um, problem with Cody last season was his hesita- hesitancy. You know, he, mm. he would always err on the side of caution or just not decide quickly enough about what, what he wanted to do, whether it be make a challenge, stand off, commit to a tackle, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now, this season, he's playing on the front foot a little bit more. He's been more got more conviction about the way he's defending. And ultimately, he's benefiting from that. I think he's probably got a lot more clarity within his own mind that, look, this is what the manager wants us to do. This is how I'm going to play now. You know, we kind of live and die by the sword kind of thing. But... You know, this is and it's working at the moment. So fair play to the manager and and to him to take it up the mantle. Yeah, one thousand percent. Um, I say first half in particular, it. I wouldn't say it was a bit of nothingness, but we we just held them out. It was almost again peak Nuno in a way. How we just we we set up our defensive <coughs> blocks and we just kept it, just kept it steady. Um, it was only kind of going mainly into the second half where action started to happen. Unfortunately, it was all towards Wolves' direction. Um, but Saar, I thought, had an impressive game. But I do want to bring up the, uh, I, guess, I guess, what could have been an incredibly calamitous moment. Um, who He was only saved by um, Connor Cody and his midriff. Um, uh, Blake, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of cover the Sace and Saar mix at first. At the time, what did you, what was going through your head when you saw Saar just belt it out and, you know, it, n- it nearly cost us a goal? To be fair, I mean, Saw. it's not like it's the first time Saw's done this. He has come out of his area a few times to play the ball. Um, and I was just... I did think it was going to be a goal. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I thought, oh, well. It was real good for the, what, 60 minutes we had played, and now this is where we completely fall apart. And then I can't remember if I exactly saw the shot, but I remember <coughs> seeing Cody block it and just thinking, how? But, yeah, it's it was just – it really was surreal. The entire thing was just – one of the strangest moments I think I've ever seen happen to Wolves. Yeah. I mean, G- Gully, I-, I-, I want to pick your brains on a couple of different points in it. Um, <laughs> as a defender, first and foremost. So you've got, I mean, I mean, I think that Saul, I-, I don't think he could have been more in the wrong for that because he doesn't need to be there. Like, what's the best Saul can do in that situation? Who's out of play? Like there's no need for him to be out there, surely. Okay, it's 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 the, it's that managerial kind of mandate that Sars probably got. Where if he's, Bruno's probably said to him, "If you think you can make it, I want you to come out your goal and make it and clear the ball, and that will help the defense." And let's be fair, majority of this season he's made good decisions on that front. Yeah, there I mean, was... he made a great he made a great one against Burnley in a exactly. I was going to say not a too dissimilar situation where he just sort of like he almost went in for a tackle. Um, for my yeah. quick free kick. Exactly, exactly. And, he, and you know, he, he timed his challenge really well. There was a bit of cheekiness on the side of Jota. He gave Sace a little nudge, which probably did a bit towards making that more a complicated situation than it... It wasn't foul. I wouldn't, I wouldn't describe it as a foul, but the nudge certainly complicates it a little bit more. And the next thing you know, obviously Jota's running through on goal. But I don't think... Say, it, I don't think Sarn necessarily made the wrong decision to come. The execution of the decision was probably the problem more than anything. Because in essence, if you're there, Sar should be taken out, Sace, Jota, and the ball. <laughs> and you know, leaving Clear nothing everything. to chance then. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Uh, I mean the other thing I was gonna pick up on, um and say as a defender gully, um would you have been brave enough to pull a Connor Cody and quite literally put your body on the line in that situation? Uh, to be honest, I found it really strange that they went straight to the line. I was like, 
I'm not being funny. You, you, you are literally think of yourself as like an, an armless human being at this point. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of, you have half your, your functional limbs incapable of doing anything in that scenario. So why, why don't you go and tackle him rather than just retreat to the line? I found it really strange, but because both they, they know, uh, they it, know Diogo Jota better than we do. Yeah. yeah, him and Kilman. I mean, they both know Jota better than we do, and clearly they they must have uh, seen it happen before in training back in back in the day. Um, but to then see him just smash the ball right into his knackers, like, oh my god! I mean, <laughs> it, I was it, it, it was heroic. It almost felt it was, deliberate. It couldn't it? it couldn't be more heroic if he tried, really, could it? <laughs> it as I say, I, I just found it. It almost felt like a school bully on a playground. Or like the year eight versus the year sixes or whatever, and just it it couldn't be more deliberately just aimed right at his bollocks. It you know there was I mean, if, if, if Jota's aiming at his bollocks, he's definitely not doing his job, is he? <laughs> yeah, it was just like you could have just knocked it in the other side. Um, I think it's interesting because I saw the two on the line, um, and I thought it was in a way showed. I don't know. I think if they'd have just gone flying out at Jota, because Sars in no man's land, I think if they go flying in, in terms of just trying to do a last-ditch block, if they foul Jota, they're sent off. Now, whether them going on the line and getting in that position was part of their thought process that, you know what, if we stand here, we won't give anything away... I don't quite know, but it did feel odd that both of them did it rather than neither one of them thought, I'm yeah, going to try and I, I don't with think him. in that scenario the red card's viable because the penalty would still be a goal-scoring opportunity, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it would just so, be a case of, I guess, how they took him out is yeah, what I'm thinking. Yeah, um, because there's, there's just no, <clears throat> yeah. you know, if it was just a one-on-one situation going on to, you know, you can... You can almost say that I say I still went for the ball ref. Whereas if he's you know just got an open goal to knock it into, um, I know. But I thought I say at that point when Cody saved us, I, I, there was a point where I thought shit, this could be our day here because it was so obviously nailed on to be a goal that I thought you know what I'll I'll look in now. And it, I, hindsight's a wonderful thing. That was almost felt like the turning point. That, that almost offended Liverpool to their core. That they'd spent, you know, an hour trying to grind us out. Had this big opportunity. The Liverpool lad who usually makes a mistake against us, usually gifts from one, has stepped up and and you know stopped them from scoring. And it just, just it felt like I Wolves just at that point just couldn't get out of base camp, and they they just couldn't get back further, you know, up the pitch and really mount anything. And I'll tell you what, uh, we couldn't get out. We yeah, kept go going on. offside. Yeah, I've never seen no. anything like it where a professional football team has gone down to the Sunday League playbook and basically just let people run offside, stuck their hands up. And just relied on the linesmen or the, the players who were making those runs being in an offside position. And we we fell into that trap so many times. It was like they had their they brought their own linesmen with them, like Sunday League style. And mm. you know, they just knew they knew him and they knew the signal was there. If I put my arm up, just put the flag up, mate. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, if, if enough of a shout for it, just just no. Don't you don't have to worry yeah. about the, the and I, I do, like I, there's a there's a degree of genius to it because when you think about with VAR, you know, they are going down to the absolute minute detail of whether you're offside and onside. So that benefit of the doubt for an attacker has almost disappeared now because it could literally be your left testicle is in front of the defender. So, you know, you always fancy your chances as a defender to be like, look, we're going to push this to its limit. And like, even if it is a hair's breadth of being offside, they're still going to give it. So, mm. You know, using that law to their advantage, almost. I mean, we were we were stupid enough to to continually make those runs and 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 not time the passes well enough and stuff like that. But it it, it was a bit farcical at one point in the second half. 
But yeah, even still, it. it's it's on the attackers to realize that they're playing the offside 100%. track. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we've got to be smarter about that. And I think that you made the point earlier, didn't you? It wasn't on Adama, the forward line faltering. It was 100% on Jimenez and Huang because they didn't play well enough. No, I was going to say, we, we, we've talked a lot about the defence. Um, but I mean, the, the, I think in terms of shots, it's the fewest amount we've had in like a, a good couple of years, apparently. And I, I appreciate we're playing against Liverpool. Um, but my, my question, I guess, to you guys was our lack of attacking impetus because of Liverpool being one of the best sides in the league or because Wolves played poorly. Um Gully, how do you break it down? I mean, uh, they had the full game um, on Sky a bit earlier today and I was watching it back and essentially Fabinho was all over the, mid the midfield like a rash. That first pass, once we regained possession, either we played a bad pass or he was breaking up play, giving free kicks away, that kind of thing. You know, whatever he could do to make sure we didn't progress, he managed it. Um so, I mean, it's always important to note that we're not the only team on the pitch. We don't, you know, it's not like because we didn't do well, we played badly. They stopped us from from, from playing our game, mm. ultimately. There was a 20-minute period in the second half where I would say Adama Traore was on, on to start doing something, but they just done the whole rotational foul thing. And, you know, um, he got Fabinho a yellow card, he got uh, Andy Robertson a yellow, Thiago should have had a yellow um, and essentially, given a free kick away, 30, 40 yards from goal, was no threat whatsoever to them. So they, they, they weren't fussed about doing that and making those decisions. And that's the 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 real, the smarts of the best teams in the country, I think. And the one thing I noticed, I don't think Liverpool are necessarily the most aesthetically pleasing football team to watch, but they are relentless in getting the ball back off you. And eventually that's going to grind you down. And that's that's where their they're kind of real class is. Yeah, they are one of the best pressing teams in football, but I think it's worth noting that I don't think that our low amount of chances should be attributed to poor attack, which I think we did have through Jimenez and Huang. I think if Jimenez and Huang were on their game, we would have still had the same amount of chances. They just would have been better. Hmm. I think... And I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I think there is a level of there being a mixture, mixture of both because we know Liverpool press... They play with a high line and it almost felt like Wolves kind of got into a position where they were so focused on defending well, which they should be. You know, that that that, that, is, that is paramount, especially to a team like Liverpool. But it's then knowing what to do actually when you do get the ball back and being smart and knowing, you know, having your game plan about actually how are we going to then exploit the space when it has got a little, you know, Liverpool have pressed in different areas. So in theory, there should be small gaps or you say we, we shouldn't be then getting caught offside, for example, because that should be counted into the into the plan. But yeah, almost well, I, like I we're kind of so this, focused this on is where, Rich, sure that, that defensive structure was there to be able to kind of complete both this, phases of the game. This is where, Rich, though, I have a problem with the fan base where players aren't held to the same standards. Now, the Adama Troyore debate will rage on until he starts producing. Yeah, And that's totally fair because numbers-wise, he isn't doing enough. Mm. But our tactic yesterday was basically when we win the ball back, get it to Adama and hope that he beats a couple of players so they open the game up in the attacking half of the pitch. He's, yeah. try he's doing the 60 yards from goal most of the time. The amount of pressure for him to do that is a lot, especially worse when Jimenez wasn't holding onto the ball well enough and Huang wasn't holding on. They, they basically weren't factors, you know, when the ball came up to them. So, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna come for Traore um, with that kind of energy on a regular basis, and there are certain games where he deserves it. Yesterday, 100% wasn't one of them, but come no. for the others when they're not producing the goods either. I think. Well, yeah, and I say, for, for me, one of my biggest pet peeves in football is when teams, it does, I don't care if you're playing Burnley or Liverpool, when they, you don't have a plan of attack. And, like, 
but it felt to a degree that our plan, as you say, it was let's give it to Troy because he's really quick and he might be able to go past Andy Robertson, which he did a couple of times. Don't get me wrong, but it's also like, well, what happens if that doesn't happen? Or is there a way we can, you know, use these other really good players? But you know, it, it it's one of those, isn't it? And um, it all came sort of ahead of said in the last in the dying minutes. Aitnori gets subbed off. Um, Hoover comes on, and uh, I mean it, it's tough because he, he'd been on the pitch all of what two minutes, if that, all <laughs> told. And whether it was down to, I guess, inexperience or not finding a rhythm of a game, but the the lack of being able to manage out that situation just cost Wolves, didn't it? Yeah, and the other thing I want to mention that I haven't really seen anyone talk about um, is at least from my angle from the South Bank, Jimenez still could have gotten to that ball, but instead of actually trying to go after it, he was whining to the referee that there wasn't a foul given for the tackle Mm. on whoever. Mm. So as much as I know everyone wants to blame this on Kai, I think Rob deserves just as much blame for not playing to the bloody whistle, especially in that moment. I mean, if nothing else, Jimenez could have at least pressured, I can't remember who had gotten to the ball, but pressured him into doing, you know, making him make a, a rash pass, a rash decision, maybe make it him go back to the goalkeeper and hoof it upfield. But instead, he just gave them all the time in the world to just sort of reset. And when they reset, it just pushed it up the field. And it was just like that. They'd scored. So, yeah, it was... Kai should have just ran out the clock. Yes, he should have just passed it to Jimenez. Yes. But at the same time, I think there were a few different pieces that have sort of failed in that one moment, and that was all Liverpool needed. Yeah, and I think it, it's important to remember, isn't it, Gulli, that I guess the area the pitch that happened, because it was, you know, pretty deep into the opposition half. And, you know, the ball has to come an awful long way. Ironically, I know he, he then didn't, he got beaten at the other end as well. But actually, you know, a lot's got to happen to get that ball from, you know, A to B as yeah, well. So, uh, you know, it's not all just on on that. It's not like, you know, he gifted it to him in the 18-yard box. And I think the, the one thing that was different about this goal compared to the rest of Liverpool's approach during the game was every element of that move went to absolute perfection. Yeah, the mm. pass was right into the, the feet of Salah. His first touch was unbelievable. The ball played into the box actually gets into the feet of Origi and then, you know, the rest obviously happens from there. And that was the one thing that I don't think Liverpool did very well throughout the game. But all of a sudden, it all just kind of came together and pieced together. I think the interesting thing with the Hervis situation was, yes, like we say, we should have probably kept possession in the final third of the pitch. But he actually manages to get back into position. You know, so we're we're defensively, we're set essentially. Um, so it's it's an interesting one because, you know, we're beaten by one long pass and it was a great pass. But then, you know, like when, when we've defended so well throughout the game, you know, how is that happening? Kind of, it's, I don't know. It It's just, it's just a hard one to take, isn't it? Because there's different elements that you could point fingers at, but there was quite a bit of quality associated with the goal as well. Yeah, it, I, Again, looking at this through, you know, through a bit of hindsight and a bit of more clarity, uh, you know, there's always two sides to a story in football. Mm. And if you take it from the Liverpool point of view, that's a really, really hard-fought good victory for them. You know, it's, if I said it was proper almost Man United back in the in the 90s where they've, you know, grinded out a win, they've turned the screw for 90 minutes to get a Fergie time winner, so to speak. And, you know, seeing it from that perspective, I go, I, I get it, but it is a tough one to be on the end of it. It really was. I mean, we, it is, talk- it is. But the one thing I will say is that we should still keep our heads high because this is a team that has scored, what, like 20 goals in four games? So, look, to have even been in the game, to, to have yeah. kept them to nil-nil for 93 minutes was fantastic. And I think that if we had been a little better on the attack, even just a little better, it would have finished 1-1. I, th- I think... Ultimately, Liverpool fans don't enjoy playing us. Jurgen Klopp doesn't no. enjoy playing us. The only time I think we really let ourselves down was away last season. When we lost 
was it was four nil? I think I think it was four nil, and that all kind of fell apart because of that one Cody mistake. I think which meant we went one nil down, and then you know all the shit that happened after that. But that's the only time they've ever had an easy ride against us, and we should kind of carry that a little bit as a badge of honour, I guess, because ultimately we are competing at the right end of the league with the right level of team. Yeah, no, no, I, I do agree, and I say whether or not we deserve something out of the game. I think 1-0 on paper against Liverpool you know I think I think we're all realistic enough to understand that that's a you know that that's a fairly fair result to, you know when you consider their form as well um we'll briefly do man of match because I think there's a few options um but Gully, who would you who would you give it to first I think it's got to be Aneri hasn't it he uh, came of age I guess with that performance yeah I'd, I I I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think I say just it was a shame that I say he pulled up in the last couple of minutes and, and he came off and things like that. But you know, we'll live to fight another day, won't we? Um we'll be back um after some ad breaks, talk a little bit about away fans, um a little bit about Morgan Gibbs White, answer some of your Twitter questions. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> Hi everyone, Matt from Wolves Fancast here. If you're anything like me, time is of the essence these days. How am I meant to take training with my wonder kids on the managerial football simulation game that I'm not allowed to mention for legal reasons if I'm too busy worrying about my online media presence? Well, that's where our friends at PixelYetiMedia.com come in. They're not just web designers. They're a creative agency that cover all of your design needs from websites, brochures and signage to marketing, logo design and branding. So go check them out at PixelYetiMedia.com they'll get you set up quicker than a Dharma Traore running at a terrified left back speaking of which who's got my baby oil attention parents and students we have an incredible exclusive offer from our friends at ProPrep this is the perfect study tool for university students undertaking science, technology, engineering or maths related modules it can halve your study time ProPrep provides bite sized videos relevant to the module or course which can be accessed from any device at any time it's already helped over 500,000 students pass exams so far they provide customised STEM study tools that match your syllabus long lectures are condensed into short and clear video tutorials and after the videos, you can go through what you've just learned with interactive exercises and practice questions so you'll be ready. You can even submit questions to ProPrep professors and they'll receive a video answer within 24 hours. ProPrep have created a special offer just for our listeners, which all you need to do to access it is go to their website, proprep.uk forward slash info forward slash football. For more information, our listeners can sign up for a free 30-day trial now. No credit card information required as well. That's proprep.uk forward slash info forward slash football. Proprep, the perfect study tool. Hello and welcome back after our lovely ads from our wonderful sponsors. Um, Guys, the, one thing I wanted to chat to you about, and it kind of popped up in our fancast group chat, and I wanted to gauge your opinions on it. So, he didn't score. He nearly did, um, Diogo Jossa. But it felt somewhat written in the stars that he was going to. Um, I think you've asked a lot of Wolves fans, you know, yeah, former Wolves player is going to score against us. What are your thoughts in betting against your own football club? Is it some, I'm not a huge betting person, as as you know, chiefly because I'm terrible at it. Um, Gully, are you someone who would, are you happy to bet against Wolves or is it not really, or, or can you not sort of emotionally detach yourself? I I think I can't come hit on this podcast and offer up a negative prediction of a result for Wolves. So I don't think I'm ever in a position <laughs> to actually bet against us. Um, I feel like there's something slightly sadistic about it, to be honest. Um, so, you know, if if you are one of the, and we know we've got some within our own clan, haven't we? I know Stu likes a little gam, um, little tipple away against walls, um, just to um, cheer his day up, um, just in case we we are on the wrong end of the result sometimes. But I know it's an odd one for me. I, I just think I'm 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 not a gambler though, so I, I can't necessarily get into that uh, mindset and mentality no. to really offer you the insight here. Blake, how about you? Would you ever? Um... 
say put put money on Josh to score against Wolves, or are you very much uh, uh, sort of me, me and Gully levels? Uh, s- sort of like you two, but for me, it's more. I feel like I'm going to jinx it if I if I bet mm. one way or the other against Wolves. So, uh, but you know, it's it's a bet. If if you want to bet one way or the other, do it. It's your it's your money at the end of the day. And look, it, it's it's not that big of a deal at the end of the day. Um, the house always wins. So just remember that you're probably going to lose money. That's and true. Um, yeah, that just have true. fun with it. Yeah, that, very, very fair, very fair. Um, the other talking point I wanted to, to kind of cover, and something me, me and Gully were chatting about earlier, was, um, I guess, away fan etiquette or opposition fan etiquette, more, more to the point. So you att- um, I, I'll pass it over to yourself, Gully. Um, first, in terms of what you kind of experienced on Saturday, and we'll kind of link into, I guess, a bit more of a more question on the subject. Yeah, I mean, for those that don't know, I, I kind of sit in the family enclosure, and obviously there's a there's a massive row of executive boxes um, behind us in the B right stand where your uh, more uh, affluent fans might uh, might attend. You know, business people, etc., and often they. They have mixed uh, home and away fans um, who are situated there. Now, I know for a fact um, there there are a large number of um, Liverpool fans in the home end because I'm bumping into people who are recognised um, on the way into the game and 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 such like. But and let's be fair, many of us have done that. You know, I've been away to to different places. I sat in the home end at Warsaw, I sat in the home end at Leeds. Um, you know, it's it's if you want to just go and watch a game, that sometimes that's the only way you can make it happen. But the way that these particular Liverpool fans behaved um in the home end, in what you would assume is a privileged position to be in with with the executive boxes and you you know yeah. you're part of the you know sort of higher end uh, service uh, of the club to then behave the way they did around the winning goal and, and really try and rub people's note. And I'm not being funny. The family club is obviously not the most um, uh, violent hostile. section of the yeah. hostile. Yeah. Hostile. Is, oh, I'm not, I definitely shouldn't be using that. <laughs> um, not the most hostile section of the ground, but I, I, I saw some people in that part of the stadium genuinely look like they wanted to rip these guys heads off. Um, because of the way they were being antagonistic around Liverpool winning the game, scoring the goals, celebrating it. And it's just, you know, I understand people do it, but you, you can't behave that way because, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's an emotional game. It's an emotional sport. People's, you know, weekends almost depend upon it sometimes. And if you entice someone into a, a reaction that you, you're not necessarily going to be um on the receiving end of or, or whatever it's just not the proper way to behave and it was it was genuinely it, it genuinely made me quite angry yesterday to be honest yeah um I, my, my sort of thing is you know there, there is a somewhat of a etiquette and i guess gentleman's agreement so I've, I've done a couple of um corporate um games which will probably be as a surprise to no one, frankly, because I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a mercenary in a bugger for a prawn cocktail sandwich. Um, but I went to one um, a few years back at Derby um, with Dave Evans um, via work, actually, and it was it, it was interesting because actually the, bo- the box itself it was mainly wall stands, but it was through a corporate one, and we've realised very quickly that you know similar situation, but actually we are in the, we are in the home bit here and me and Dave like you know you've, you've just got to behave sensibly and we were with a couple of other Wolves fans say and it was the year I think we lost 4-2 um I mean uh, and I remember Phoebe scoring from a corner and so really great routine and I remember we didn't quite lose ourselves in the moment but we did go like it's the other end of the pitch Wolves fans are the other end as well and we go yes and then and kind of me and Dave, because you know we're nice and sensible and mild mannered, did end up sort of apologising to everyone around us um, because you, you realise there's a difference. And I, I'm not a big fan of the idea of 
segregating fans, if you want my honest opinion, it, it, in in a general principle, because I think it encourages people to act badly in in a way. Um, but like, there's a difference between celebrating your team winning and celebrating against the opposition, and that that's something that really annoys me. Um, Blake, have you ever been in a situation like that where you've been? I guess the um, you know, in the lines then, so to speak. It's interesting that you say that because my dad's a big Spurs fan and he's very posh, so he does the whole posh box all the time. Um, so when he's in London, I do kind of get offered to go to these posh box things, but I know that I just wouldn't be able to contain myself if Wolves scored a 90th minute winner or what have you, so I never have, just because I know that I know I would do something inappropriate. And like you say, there is an etiquette. There is sort of a... Uh, an agreement that if you're going to be in the home end, don't be a dick about it. <laughs> just, yeah. you, you know, maybe a light clap, maybe something like that, but just don't, don't ruin it for everybody, which apparently is kind of what happened with Liverpool, unfortunately. But yeah, for me, I mean, I don't really get the whole posh box to begin with. I mean, I think that if you're going to go to a football game, go to a football game. If you want a nice, relaxed experience, yeah. Stay at home. Just stay at home. But anyways, that's a whole other conversation. No, I, I, I do agree with you on that because, frankly, I, it, it is not the same thing and it never, ever will be. Um, I guess moving back to more on-the-pitch stuff. Um, he scored yet again at the weekend. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White, he's, you know, n- nearly half a season into his loan at um, Sheffield United. And f- from what I've sort of picked up and, you know, he seems to be having a really strong run of form. Um, he, he's predominantly playing up front, but as we know from his time at Wolves, he can play in midfield. It, it almost feels to a degree uh, we're kind of groundhog in it uh, in a way in terms of when I'm going to ask this question. Um, do you think it's viable for Wolves to um, recall Gibbs White in January depending on what our incoming transfers look like gully oh, well I'm, I'm sure the options there um i think my own personal opinion on the matter is that you, you don't leave him to it unless you're going to start him um mm. now like you mentioned i think he's playing quite often as part of the front, front three so he's almost got the the attributes to to play in that position for us but we are relatively well stocked in those positions, aren't we? So if he isn't going to get in ahead of the likes of Trincao, Adama, um, Neto, when he comes back, Pedence, it's of no benefit whatsoever. We had this last season when he was at Swansea and he threatened to have a really good season there only to get injured, then get recalled and then kind of just run out of steam. And to be honest, towards the end of last season, he looked like he was becoming a decent player for us. He scored the winning goal against Brighton. Um, you know, he's, he's performing quite nicely, but there's nothing to be gained from taking him away from Sheffield United and not playing him at all. Yeah, I think um, he seems to have sort of solidified his, his position, I guess, in a attacking position rather than in midfield. Blake, are you of the same opinion? Unless, like, Bruno's got something in mind about playing him in centre midfield, do you think he just needs to keep him out for, if I said for 46 games, you know, for the second half of the season, as it were? Well, typically with how starred for subs we are, I would normally say, okay, bring him back. But I think that Gibbs White is someone who has an unbelievable amount of potential if he can mature into the role. (laughs) And I think that's kind of what Sheffield United are offering him at the moment, just a great opportunity for him to start maturing into the possible roles that he could face up front. And I think, like all of us has kind of said, um, I we don't really think he's going to get into the starting 11. If anything, he might be brought off on, off the bench every once in a while. But beyond that, I just don't really think we're going to use him that much. And I think he's far better off at Sheffield at the moment. Yeah. yeah I th- that I, I complete... think... on, Sorry, ultimately, I think... People have got this thing where we, we see, obviously see that we've got a thin squad, but we also we seem to want players for players' sake as well. You know, just because seeing their name on the subs bench makes them makes you feel a little bit better about it. But if those players aren't going to feature, then what is the point? And we've seen with uh, Bruno's usage of his substitutes in the last few games. 
certain players are literally just there just in case, you know, we end up with like three broken legs or something like that within a game. But it's the likelihood of these players like um, Chem Campbell, unfortunately, doesn't seem likely to play or Luke Kundal might be the one who, who might get a run out. But really... It's it's just there to fill the quota essentially. Yeah, I mean we 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 spoke about this, didn't we? Um, when you looked at the bench against Burnley, and it was similar again against Liverpool, wasn't it? Where you know once you take out two sub goalkeepers, then you're down to six outfield players because we've only been fielding eight. Half of them are academy players. One's Fabio Silva, and actually go well. What are your options really? If you want to change a game and. Um, I, I'm a big Morgan Gibbs White fan, and I, I always have been. But is, you're right. Is he an improvement on Trincal in terms of a suspension? Is he offering you a huge amount of difference? You know, if if he's on a suspension with Daniel Podence and say Trincal to come on, he's going to be, to be honest, he's going to be third choice of that. And you know, you're not going to make three, um, three, uh, you know, bring on all those three players at the same time, are you? So. Um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I, I, I genuinely hope he can kind of just m- get through a full season and then we've got a bit of a plan in order for him next year, whether it's stick or twist in terms of whether he stays at Wolves and he can fight for first-team place or, you know, we move him on and he finds his level and keeps growing. But um, we will see. Um, guys, shall we wrap up this show with some questions from Twitter Corner? Let's do it. I, I say this like you've got a choice, to be fair. Like, shall we and then just go now? We'll just we'll Mine's opt out now, mate. Yeah, just go now. Put you on there's, mute. Yeah, to be fair, there's <laughs> actually been some good questions here this week. Um, I make that sound like there's... Is, that a, dig, is that a dig at the, the listeners, that they're not providing good enough content for us? To be fair, I did something different this week. Um, and I said, can you send me silly questions? Okay. And I don't know why I got an influx. So... I'm I am in a good mood. We've had great questions this week, as we always do. Um, so this one, um, I, I kind of quite liked it to a degree, but it is a darn of most fun player to watch in the Premier League. Now, apart from I guess you know when he's in front of goal, my question for you guys is: what player outside of Wolves do you genuinely enjoy watching play um, at the moment, rather than like historic or anything? Who who do you genuinely get joy from? Well, along the same lines, you're talking about someone like and and the operative word being fun and and entertaining. Um, Alan Sam Maximan is always great value yeah. because it's just entertaining. Like regardless of what his own end product is like, um, I mean we could all reel off some of the world class players that are in the Premier League at the moment, but. Someone like him, like, yeah, he just puts a smile on your face, doesn't he? Yeah. I I quite like Vardy just because he kind of is that perfect villain. <laughs> He's the yeah, guy you love to hate. Is. Yeah. And that I think that, that there's a large element of fun way. to that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can, I can see that. Um, um, but who was I going to say? Um, the guy at Crystal Palace, whose name? I've, um, Eze? Um, is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, again, just want to see he's just actually enjoys football yeah. and wants, as you say, wants to sort of drive the game forward. So, I'll on, um, on the same lines, I mean, it's sometimes it's very fun watching terrible footballers, um, as well. So, you know, I always something about John Joe Shelby kind of draws me to him as well. Like, I always think he's either going to do something ridiculously amazing or stupid as hell. So, you know yeah. what? When you said terrible footballers, my, my immediate um, place went to Paul Dummett and Grant Hanley. Um, again, I just whenever I Paul Dummett, you 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 get sacrilegious to say that in Newcastle. They love him. I know, they absolutely I love know. him up there. But he's not a good player. Um, you know, I say Grant Hanley. Uh, he's now at Norwich. I think and he, I think he's club captain. To be fair, but. He just looks like a man whose legs were, you know, born in a treacle factory. Um, just, I don't quite know how he plays at this level. Um, to be honest, apart from he can head a football probably quite far. Um, but, um, right, next question. What is your favourite starter and dessert on Christmas Day? Mm. Ooh. 
I do love pigs in a blanket. Would you have um, that as a starter? You have that on your main plate, don't That's you? Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Because when, I, well, to be fair, I'm not exactly an expert in English Christmas, so forgive yeah. me. But when I when I did have an English Christmas with with an English family, they did serve them as starters. So maybe that's okay. just something they do. But that, I was going to say, I, I I doubt it was because I think you'd have name dropped him. That one thousand percent sounds like the sort of thing Stu would do. <laughs> I actually wasn't actually wasn't like a posh starter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think um, we've done stuff like a bit of smoked salmon, a bit of cream cheese, that kind of thing mm. as a starter. Which um, which tends to go down quite well. I was going to say for me for me fit it's got to be something fish related. So smoked yeah. salmon or something involving prawns. Yeah, but then I I don't know how Christmassy they actually are as starters. I'm not sure if they even are really are they. No, not huge. Not traditionally. I don't, yeah. I don't think Christmas is normally known for its starters though, is it? It's mainly about mains and dessert yeah. slash cakes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, dessert wise, I don't like Christmas pudding or Christmas cake, so I'm a it's bit. All, it's all terrible, to be honest. Like yeah. stuff like that, mince pies, terrible. Um, I, I don't understand. I mean, it's all weird fruit kind of stuff, isn't it? Like yeah. that's it's all based around. Like, it just makes zero sense to me. So yeah, I just it... have a cheesecake. Yeah, yeah cheesecake. Exactly. I'd take a cheesecake. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Well, cheesecake's your answer, then, guys. Um, right next up, uh, Dean Marsden asks, um, you can go back in time and change one thing also related. What would it be? So he, he's, uh, given the example of, um, you know, Nuno, um, taking off Neves at, at Wembley in the semi-final. My one was going to be semi-final related and it was going to be when Cav did the role uh, um. in extra time. And that that would be the thing I'd change. And he just took it away. Well, he scores instead. Yeah, he sc- I was going to say, okay. can I take? But he just scores instead, or doesn't do a trick instead. He just, you know, that, you know, shoots. But yeah, that, someone that kidnaps my... Gerard De Lefeu like the day before the game yeah. or something like. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I think there's probably a few sliding doors moments um, <laughs> in walls. But I was going to say, can you? Uh, what what would you sort of change? Never have sacked Zenga. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but well, no, I'm, I'm not serious. I don't really think there is anything I would change with Wolves. I think that, uh, well, I think that football is about the highs and the lows, and I don't think you, that you can have the highs without the lows. And I think Wolves have been very, very fortunate to have been, especially in our recent history, been able to experience both extremes. Yeah, I mean, beating Man United in the FA Cup has certainly, I think, cured the ailments that we got from being relegated to, well, double relegated to League One. Um, So I think that, especially for recent history, Wolves have just been fantastic. I guess the one thing I might change is for us to have won the first um, Europa League final. I don't remember what it was called back then um, against Tottenham. The UEFA Cup back in the day. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. That That would would have been been cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 But other than oh, that, you've just really triggered one anything. in. You just triggered one in my head, though. Um, mine were going to be two kind of Jimenez-related ones. One was that he never had the the injury that he that he had with his uh, with his skull fracture. But the other one was going to be um, him scoring the penalty against Sevilla yeah. in the quarterfinal. That uh, you wonder if we might have held on to a one in that game or something, because then you're talking semi-finals and anything can happen from there, can't it? But yeah, oh, what might have been. I was going to say, I think that that's a really good one because a we could have gone on to win that game, but how would have that changed sort of Nuno's reign and tenure and how things were perceived at that point? Because yeah. you know that was a probably a bit of beginning, you know, beginning of the end stuff. Um, right, next up um, is from Brian Donnelly. Ignore the past, let's think of the future. Who will be the first Wolves player from the Fosin era to get a statue outside Molyneux? Um, someone who's in the squad now or the best is yet to come, so I guess somebody in the future. I'm going to say mine now, just because I think somebody else will say it before me, but probably Connor Cody. 
just because I think there's a likelihood that he will stay and continue to be captain and keep getting appearances and stuff like that and become a genuine club legend. Um, whereas, as we said before, Neves is likely to go at some point and it will make me cry. <laughs> I think yeah, if I think... Jimenez stays for the remainder of his career, there is a small chance that he might get one. But seriously, I... I'd be surprised if any of these current players get one, in all honesty. I think that... Yeah. Well, let's let's hope that the best is yet to come. Well, we've already dis- decided that the, the ones coming in the future are all going to be sold on for a profit. So, um, yeah. they're not going to be around long enough. But Cody's a good shout, to be fair, because it just doesn't feel like the kind of player someone would come in, come in for and, and spend a lot of money on. And also... I mean, he can't really get much slower. So he feels like he's got a lot of years left in the game. You know, his pace has never been like a problem to that extent. So when, when you, know. you said when you said he's not got a lot of pace, I was like, so he could become a statue, like a human no, statue, and just slowly over time. Uh, his his defending has been statuesque at times, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think Cody's Cody's a good one. Um, He's got a lot of good um, faces that he pulls in photos and stuff that could be used as the model as well, I I feel like. Um, There's some good content out there. It's it's a genuine shame we lost against Liverpool for this reason and this reason only, because I feel like him stopping the ball with his bollocks on the goal line could have been a genuinely iconic shot, and that would have made the perfect And you would have put it in bronze. Yeah, out of yeah. Wow. So like you've got like how you've got the Billy Wright statue of being magnificent with the ball. It would just be like Cody just kind of keeling over with the ball, let's say, right in right in the groin. I think that'd be a great statue. You know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see what it comes up with. Um Stu asks, why is Max Verstappen such a twat? Um are either of you two F one fans? Yes. Well, I don't know about Gully. I'm an absolute, yeah, I find it quite nauseating how much uh, this is all going on, to be honest. So. We'll, we'll, we'll go to Blake for the live yeah. reaction, Ben, because I think, it, as I say, I'm, I'm only... Apparently like... there's something interesting happening, apparently. <laughs> what, while they're driving, did they one overtake the other? Honestly, Blake. it just feels like road well... on the M6, like, uh, sometimes, like... <laughs> I might catch a lot of flack for this, but I'm actually a Max Verstappen fan. Okay. So I might be a little biased with any okay. kind of answer here. But uh, Max is just a very aggressive driver and he does very aggressive things. You know, I think it's not dissimilar to say Senna. Isn't the whole or, point is driving around a track to beat other people. Well, it should be, but F1 yeah. is not NASCAR. So we've all been going on, haven't we? True, true. <laughs> I, I was going to say, Gully, I can imagine you being very aggressive go-karting. You, you, you strike with someone who's either... It, it's a lot more going. hard work than than like you, you assume it would be like the steering and that. It just feels... Yeah. So I feel like I get tired doing it, to be honest. That might be why Max Verstappen's lashing out, because, you know, a bit tired. He's doing That's a lot of driving. Happy. We've, we've all done it for long driving. Levels. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he might just he might just need a nice cup of tea and you like know, I said, just 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 it's just road rage on the M6. Like that's the whole <laughs> that's that's all this sport is. <laughs> I I feel like we need to do a podcast at some point with all four. Like I say, all four of us, four of us on, and we just discuss separate sports and our thoughts and feelings on them. Because I feel like there's quite a intricate Venn diagram of like certain people within the fan cast who I I, I really enjoy making football. But I can imagine there's other people in the group who just find it this weird commercial and nothing happens and stuff like that. I don't, I've never watched a baseball game. There'll be some people who don't like don't cricket. Do I love it. Terrible game. Um, yeah. So I feel we could have, we could do a really good, good one. I, would, why we I was all talking like about baseball sports. being terrible, just to clarify, not cricket. Cricket is an excellent sport and we all should like it more. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was saying, I feel, I feel, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like we we could make up seventy five percent of a good pod team on discussing sports and why we either think they're amazing or terrible. Um, but yeah. we, we'll 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 put that in the uh, production plan for the new year. Right, last question uh, from Andrew Wright is: 
Foson are leaving it up to you to buy a new striker in January. Only problem is um, money's tight and you can only afford one of um, the following. Robert Taylor, Thomas Frankowski or Yannick Sagbo. Um, who are you having? I, I, it's got to be Frankowski for me, just because I'd be really interested to know how long it actually took him to score his first goal. Um it's just like a like a scientific experiment. Put him in like a brilliant team and just have him at the front of the front of the attack, just not finishing anything. Like it just it'd just be quite interesting for me, I think. So not because it would be a success. We all know these are absolutely terrible footballers who should never be see the lights of Molyneux again. But yeah, just as a huh. Maybe, maybe it'd be the final piece of the jigsaw in the, in the in the Bruno large setup. Potentially, um, I mean, t- t- I haven't got the stats on Robert Taylor in front of me, but to kind of give you an overview, um, what Yannick Sagbo scored? Let's see, according to good old Wikipedia, scored about forty-four in two hundred eighteen games up to his time when he was at Molyneux. Um, and then he went on to score. Oh, crikey, he got one in five playing in uh, Saudi Arabia as well. Um, Thomas Frankowski actually had a really... Oh, yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll, he would have been very happy with that move, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, Thomas Frankowski, apart from his time at Wolves, had a really decent goal-scoring record, um, by and large. I mean, he ended his career with, what, 211 goals in 450 games. You know, it wasn't somebody when he came to Wolves that didn't have a decent pedigree and stuff like that. So I would go for Thomas Frankowski. We were basically just... a f- like a footballing graveyard at the time. Like people would just yeah. come to us and just le- their careers would just die. <laughs> or I was going to say, yeah, they'd either die or they'd go to the far ends of the earth after going to Wolves. Yeah. So like I, I, I am very much thinking of Rome Ricketts. Nobody, nobody ever came to Wolves and then was successful later on in life. Like It just didn't happen. No, whereas now we're already selling them. But they're not even here yet. Exactly. We've, already, we've, we've already pitched them to Man City and Liverpool. So uh, yeah. how times have changed, eh? Um, that's a really good point to wrap up the show for this week. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to us. Um, make sure you go check us out on social media at Wolves Fancast, that's on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. We are doing our daily Advent giveaway uh, where we've got some very fun um, Christmas prizes ranging from the sublime to the ridiculous. So make sure you're heading over to our Twitter with a chance to win those as well. We will be back um, later this week for our preview show um, as well as for Man City. And we'll also be doing our review show next weekend as well. But until then, it's goodbye from Gully. See you guys. It's goodbye from Blake. See you. And it's goodbye from me. See you next time. <laughs>